Yeah. Okay. So if you're ready, let's let's loop in Pastor Aiken and get the party started because he's probably around this time expecting us. Like the part two of what we wrapped up on last week. Do you remember? So Pastor Aiken, let's test your memory. What's the last question you asked when we wrapped it up? I think it, I, I, I think I asked what does what does guilt look like or something like that. Yes. Well, what is it? I remember right. Yeah. Where did it come from? Why does God give it to us? Yeah. Where where did it come from? The purpose of that question was, the Lord has used guilt in my life in different ways. Mm -hmm. And and every time I've been uh, affected by guilt, all of it didn't come from God either. Mm -hmm. So so that, that was that was the motive behind the question. Mm. What do you mean it didn't all come from from God? I've had I've had Satan try to bring a spirit of guilt on me over something good that I did. Uh, mm. Like you know religious traditions of of men. Well, well you know I always I always want to respect wherever I am, whatever you know whatever their traditions are. I I don't want to offend anybody. And and sometimes you just forget to do things. And anyway, anyway, and some things are just applied wrong. And the enemy is coming. Oh, you shouldn't. Have, he, whatever God has, Satan has a duplicate. Mm, that's interesting. So how does that? Okay, so I know how guilt feels in me, how it manifests physically, and it's always like a like a gnawing flip-floppy feeling right in the center where everybody says, yeah, my heart, and they always, like, tap the center of their chest kind of low a little bit. I always feel like agita right there. You know what I mean? It's nowhere else. And and when the guilt feeling is gone, then it's gone, and that feeling physically disappears from me. It's always been that way. I don't know if that's weird. But that's weird. Just to make sure I understand, Pastor again, you're saying that what you do is not necessarily connected to how you feel guilt-wise. Yeah. You know, the scripture says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So I have felt, I have felt convicted in my heart and in my mind and, and felt guilty and, and God wasn't in it at all. How does that argument go? Because for me, when guilt, I'm sorry, I'm stepping all over this. This is an interesting question. Do you mind if I just like dig into this a little? Because I, I, I'm no, no. Go ahead, man. I just, I just wanted to say, I just that was just a thought that uh, it, it's a thought based on reality. I have to be able to discern where the thought, you know, the Bible says, "What a man thinketh in his heart." Well, every thought that comes up in me doesn't come from God. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He he really loves to throw a rock and hide his hand. Okay, so the reasons that I'm intrigued, well, I'm intrigued by this for a couple of reasons, but the major reason I'm intrigued is I've made like three pages of notes to really kind of illuminate this conversation, and they're and they're good, they're solid, they're they're really they're excellent. So I wrote out sort of an outline that we call focus point, okay. and right before you joined this call, past break, and we were talking about you know how the conversation would go and. We've done this enough now to know that whatever we put on paper, whatever we've pre-planned is, is, is subject to having a left-hand turn or right-hand turn taken that nobody expected. 
And what you just said, I don't even think is conceived of in anything that we've talked about. Bob, what do you say? Well, you know, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, and where I went with this in my notes is the whole idea of our conscience. You know, and, and Romans tells us that, you know, God reveals himself in creation. And I also, you know, when you do... That's Romans certain, 1, right? Yeah. Right, correct. Okay. And he also builds a conscience in us. And that conscience is to give us, uh, you know, we cry out for justice. Well, where does that come from in this, in the man who is not a Christian? Well, I, I think it's God's fingerprints in creation. But the problem with what Satan does, he twists, uh, our cry for justice by pushing it far sometimes and realizing, you know, that's why it says, you know, judgment is not mine, says the Lord. You know, we are not always to seek our own justice. Uh, so there's a perversion of our conscience there. And where I, I went with that to some extent was the idea that Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 talks about the transforming of our minds, you know, the renewing of our spirit. And, and Paul in 1 Timothy talks about the idea that certain people have their consciences seared. With a hot and, eye. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that's psychologically, that's where we get sociopaths and psychopaths. They, they have no conscience anymore. And so, you know, as we mature as Christians, uh, uh, let me look at my notes here. You know, we have, uh, well, Hebrews 10, 22 talks about our hearts being cleared and clean. And uh, that part of the growth as a Christian is training of the conscience from the world conformity to a more godly conformity. You know, uh, Leslie Ephesians 5 talks about husbands and wives, but there, there's a thing in there that applies generically where it says that the husband is to wash his wife with the word. And the emphasis of that is as somebody looks at the word of God, their consciences are gradually transformed from being just generic non-Christian conscience, and they're brought to a higher level, and our consciences over time are trained. And there's a guilt that comes sometimes when we take burdens that God doesn't want us to have. You know, and I'm thinking of various churches, or, you know, we used to do a seminar on campus that was called Doubtful Things. And, um, you know, in Romans it talks about not laying a burden on the weaker brother, and, and of course, the weaker brother sometimes lays burdens on the, the strong, where we have these rules of behavior in a church, and they become burdens, and it's a, a conscience from outside instead of a conscious, a conscience that God has developed within us. I don't, I don't know why I'm kind of chasing the tail here. These things. No, you're not chasing related. the tail. No, you yeah, know, because we, we, it's all related. Yeah. It's good. We have legitimate guilt. Yeah, we have legitimate guilt when we violate our conscience. But we also understand that as a fallen creatures, our conscience are not always a good indicator of right and wrong. That that, that our consciences uh, 
have to be trained as we mature as Christians. Otherwise, we're going to this default level, which is mostly cultural. Um, See, that, okay, if I may, when I came, okay, so when I came to Christ, I was 30 years old, and I, you know, my mother had, had been something of a Catholic, but she was like a, an Irish Catholic, which is a lot of mysticism in it, and not a lot mm-hmm. of word. So, I didn't go to, I went to catechism once or twice, and, you know, it, just for a variety of reasons, it didn't, it didn't work out to go more. And, uh, so I didn't have a lot of exposure to the things of God. So in my life, my mother was my conscience. And so mm-hmm. when I would be doing something that I knew was wrong, I, I, what I would hear is, or see is my mother's disapproval. And mm-hmm. I didn't have a conscience like a conscience that I can recall. Yeah, it was a secondhand family church background conscience. It wasn't yours. It wasn't even just... I, I couldn't even rightly call it a church background, Bob. But what I'm asking mm-hmm. is, 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 is my experience kind of normative for the person coming to Jesus from the outside? And I realize that we're all born from the outside, but I think you know what I mean. It, do people who don't know Jesus really and truly have a conscience? Wow. I, I'm asking... I, 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 I've never thought like about this before, but that idea of where does guilt come from? Before I came to know Jesus, what would be the point of guilt? Why why would Satan want me to feel guilt? I know Bob said something about uh, what you say earlier, Bob, about conscience. You said it was like it was almost God given. You know, if we're created in the image of God. Uh, we're not talking about the material part of us. We're talking about the immaterial, the, the soulish aspects of our heart. And I think, you know, it's, it's, every human has a certain conscience. You know, uh, I, I'm trying to look it up in my concordance here as we speak, but where the Apostle Paul says that people alternately accuse or excuse themselves. Well, that's the conscience at work. The problem is, is the conscience is very foggy uh, in the natural man or in the very young Christian. And there's a conscience there, but it's all messed up, you know. Uh, uh, one of the things, Frank, that you mentioned, I remember, uh, you know, I, I had a little bit more, you know, the catechism and all that. And, and, you know, it used to be a big deal, you know, no meat on Fridays. And as I got out of that, you know, oh, man, I need to meet today, you know. And uh, that was a trained conscience, but it was imposed rather than, you know, God-given conscience. You know, now I don't even think of it anymore except, you know, I mean, that just popped to to memory as you were talking. And, Hmm. you know, part of the process of growth as a Christian, you know, and and I look at some of our, our brethren, in very rigid denominations, you know, and they impose a very heavy behavior standard on them. And maybe that works for a while where you kind of know where the boundaries are because, you know, the pastor or the the elders or whatever kind of impose this standard. But if we're still there after a number of years as a Christian, our conscience should begin to be trained 
and conformed by exposure to the Word of God that, you know, our conscience is going to be a little different for each of us. You know, we're going to come to convictions about certain things. I mean, like, like me, you know, I was raised in a, in a, you know, alcohol was okay, you know, and as a kid, you know, Christmas time and Thanksgiving, a little glass of wine, you know. Uh, I still don't have a problem. People, Christians are allowed to do that, but I've come to a point in my own life where my conscience is saying, no, I really need to avoid that. You know, there's enough stuff that goes on in the world. Am I free to do so? Yes, but my conscience has brought me to a point of saying, for me, even though the church, some of the churches I've been in, uh, alcohol was a perfectly good thing. And then I've been in other churches you couldn't join unless you signed off, no, I will never touch alcohol. And so we have a very rudimentary conscience from outside as a Christian. And as we grow, we begin to, uh, in our own quiet times and interactions with the Word, and as we observe the world, our conscience begins to be trained and customized for us. And it doesn't mean I'm the measure of all things, but it does mean that God deals with us as individuals. And maybe I don't have the freedom in certain areas that Frank does or Pastor Glenn does, you know. And on the other hand, I may have freedoms in certain things. Uh, you know, Pastor Glenn, because of his calling, he may say, no, I'm not going to do A, B, or C over here because as a as a active pastor, he doesn't need it. His conscience says, I won't do that lest some of my congregations stumble. So it feels like there's a couple of parts to this discussion that were merging, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Like the like the before I came to Jesus guilt conscience thing, and then the after I came, but I'm learning, and then the pastor view, I'm now responsible and I, and I choose these words carefully, okay? I know you're not responsible, Pastor Aiken, but and, and Bob, when you were in the pulpit, you, you, okay, and on campus crusade, you were responsible, but you weren't responsible for these people's salvation and how they walked with Jesus, right? So it, it feels like right. there's three different parts to this. Am I overthinking that? I don't think so, Frank. Uh, and ultimately, it comes down to how is my walk with the Lord going to be organized, I guess we could say. And, you know, there's certain people who have these super high rigid standards, and if they come to that um, not imposed on them or trying to be holy by their own efforts, but but the Lord has circumscribed certain behaviors or give them certain freedoms, that's to a great extent between them and the Lord. But at the same time, we do live in a environment of other Christians, and we don't want to make a brother stubble. You know, it's a slippery thing, and partially it's the fact that... Can I say something here? Absolutely. Uh, one of the questions that I get from church members continually is how do I know the difference between my conscience, being led by my conscience, and being directed by the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. 
And I think... Oh, yeah, this is the issue, isn't it? Yeah. I just think that that's an area where Satan has set up a table and he's really feasting because the church is not educated in discernment and how to recognize the difference. Because I always tell the church that a conscience is a thinking man's filter. That's just the definition I use. Sure. Mm. Um, 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 Hang on, let me write that down. You said a conscience is a thinking man's filter? A thinking man's filter. Hmm. That's just an expression I use in the church. Do you remember Do you remember uh, Judas Iscariot after he sold Jesus out for the 30 pieces of silver and he came to the reality of what he had done after he was able to see through that deception that, you know, how Satan set him up. Well, the Bible says he repented. But then it goes on to say, but he went and hung himself. Well, my my point is, my Bible teaches me that repentance always leads to life. Always leads to mm-hmm. life. It, uh, was it Romans 3 or Romans 4? It's the goodness of God that leads me to repentance. Repentance doesn't lead me to death, but Judas thought he repented, but he went and hung himself. So he was in a state of deception mm. in his thinking. Okay, this is a rabbit trail, and I'm calling it out that I'm about to say. I've heard people ask, and they ask it not in an edifying way, but as a way to trip people up. That's what I think they're doing. About this whole question of, was Judas Iscariot saved? And the only reason I'm asking it is I I don't think I've ever really been in a conversation where somebody was using that part of the life of Judas Iscariot as, as a way to think about the grace of God. But I've been troubled by that, about the whole repentance thing, and then he goes and kills himself. And I, it just makes me wonder if there's more to this idea of grace, number one, and number two, is there more to this idea of repentance? Well, the next question would be, can you be an apostle and not be saved? Because my study of the life mm. of Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot uh, was a great man other than one or two instances. Other than that, he was a, he was really committed. He wasn't a hypocrite the whole time. He didn't he didn't live a, a a life of hypocrisy. He was Satan deceived him in that. But if you look at his life before that, he pretty much was there. But Jesus, he made the same sacrifice as the rest of the apostles made. So I'm just wondering, you know, God is not the author of confusion. Would God label him, allow him to be labeled in his Bible as an apostle, and then he not even be saved? So I don't know. Um, you know, maybe that's a conversation for another day. And 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 I did call this out as a rabbit trail. Uh, so if we if we don't have another yeah, word about it, I'll, I'll be comfortable with it. Let's move on. Yeah. Well, last time we talked, we were talking about the mistakes that, you know, I used the word mistake as a substitute for the word sin. And that's not to make it light. Our mistakes are sin anytime we deviate from the will of God. 
But the truth of the matter is, even Christians at times can fall into severe sin. And, and you know, on the Judas question, you know, I have to say, well, the Bible reports a lot more sometimes than it really explains. And so it explains so, what Bob, Bob, happens. Say that again, please. The Bible reports a lot more than it explains. Hang on, I'm going to write that down. Okay, keep going. <laughs> okay, for instance, the uh, Genesis story, you know, the creation story. The intent of that story is to tell you who did it, not how he did it or when he did it. And if we try to read into those passages, and Judas is another case in point, you know, do Christians sin? Yes. Do they fall into despair because they have sinned? Yes. Is it possible for a Christian to be so despairing that they lose sight of God long enough to kill themselves? Yes. What's the case in Judas? We don't know. Only God knows for sure. And, and of course, somebody with a well-developed conscience, um, you know, they may be more sensitive to certain sins uh, than, the, than the guy down the street, you know, or the Christian and the few next to him. And, I don't know, I struggle with that from the idea is, you know, in, in the weaker brother, stronger brother set up in the scriptures there, does it really say who's the weaker or strong? Is the guy with many rules stronger than the guy with no rules? Or is the guy with no rules actually the strong one? He just goes about his day, and like Paul said, I don't even examine myself. I just, and his conscience is so developed, he just automatically makes decisions based on his transformation. Is my voice okay. cutting in and out? Is what? No, you're doing fine. You're doing, you're doing fine. Oh, okay. It's my, it's my feedback then. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, we'll tell you if we can't hear you. Well, wait a minute. Okay. Patrick, can you hear Bob? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. It's, it's, it's just so good. He's, he's provoking thought. This whole Yeah, me too. Me too. It's just provoking thought. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, Call my mind back so I can stay focused. <laughs> so we we well, actually yeah. have an outline for this. You may not believe it the way this is done. We really do have an outline, and we did have a purpose. But you talked about flow, Frank. You said you didn't want to do this with no one that we couldn't flow with. And this is all flow. Yeah. This is like it we seems like yeah. day, right? It just <laughs> seems like a natural flow. Bob said stuff. I stopped breathing for a second. I don't say yeah. that. To you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so breathe, brother, breathe. So, so the conversation is fascinating. Okay. So, Bob, thank you for that about 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 uh, Judas. You're right, and and uh, that is helpful to me. And you're right. We don't we don't need to speculate. If I want to say yeah. that God saved him out of grace, I, I think I'm okay. And if if I thought God sent him to hell because he did this terrible thing, I'd I think I'd rather believe that he got saved and, and by God's grace. I, I would. I feel. I feel better about that. I don't well, know. If I'm you know are we saved by grace or are we saved by actions? Actions. Actions only, all the way. It's actions and law, right? Isn't that what this is about? Rules, law. No, no. Well, you know, <laughs> actions reveal the faith. You know, I mean, the, the suicide thing. I mean, I have, you know, in our coffee group down there in Columbia, there's two of the guys in that group that committed suicide. 
two of my, my best friends in college, their, their sons committed suicide. Uh, these were Christian people. And be it the chemicals in our system, be a lack of faith, um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I've been at, at times at a point of despair about certain things. And you're, you're hanging on to God by your fingernails. Yeah, it's that, yep. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and, and, you know, does God use that maybe to, to make our faith firsthand as opposed to secondhand? I mean, how many people are sitting in the pew and, and, uh, you know, they're there because of their parents' faith or their parent, they're there because, uh, gee, pastor really knows how to preach a sermon or, but, but their, their depth isn't there. And I don't want to judge people, but, uh, you know, God, it, that's true. You know, that is true. You know, I mean, I, I think it was you, Frank, that said sometime, you know, God has no grandchildren. None. Uh, not a one. Everyone's first generation. Everybody who comes is first generation. Everybody has to come and wrestle with God, you know, in their own life, in their own circumstance, and say, God, you are my God. Everybody uh, goes to Bethel. Is that, isn't that where Jacob wrestled with God at Bethel? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, everybody goes to Bethel. Yeah. So, so yeah. okay, so here's this guilt thing. When I first came, I, I, uh, yeah, right. We could talk all day. I got to choose my words carefully here, or we'll never finish. <laughs> when I first came to Jesus, I didn't have a really clear sense of right and wrong that I believed was right and wrong. I believed that there were circumstances that I shouldn't enter into if there was a reasonable chance I would get caught and pay some sort of a social price. But mm-hmm. if you ask me, are these things really wrong, I would say no, because I couldn't mm-hmm. find an authority for good and uh, right and wrong. Does that make sense? Like, I, I worked in the jail when I was in my early 20s, so you would think, oh, you had a very clear sense of right and wrong. Well, yeah, no, not really. It, it, it Yes, but it was much more the outwardly imposed right and wrong. Don't do this or you'll catch mm-hmm. 20. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, hey, you're already a convicted felon. Don't bring the gun to that. You know, that's sort of right and wrong. But I found in practice that people who went that direction really didn't think like that. They didn't weigh out right and wrong based on social punishment or social reward in, in the sense that you would hope that they would. You know, the penal code didn't really percolate down into their planning cycle. It just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But but they had a whole different sense of right and wrong, which was much closer to what I had, which was very situational. Mm-hmm. It was, if you disrespect me, I'm going to burn your house down. It was very proportional mm-hmm. in my mind, very proportional. It was um, it was very proportional, it was very situational, and it was entirely with me at the center of the, the whole guilt system. In mm-hmm. other words... Uh, well, I don't know if I'm doing good with this, but so when I came to Jesus, I came because my system stopped working, mm. and and that was and that was God calling. So what had been I had been free to do in volume, I started to become not quite so free to do anymore, 
not that I somebody was restraining me from doing it, but because I didn't find the same pleasure in it. And mm-hmm. you can name you can name the problem there. Okay, just any name you want to stick in there. Any sin, that's that's it. So coming to Jesus, I'm confronted with a a sense of right and wrong that's different than anything I've ever encountered. It's it's so I told you that my mother had been sort of my voice of of uh, morality. Mm-hmm. But this was different. This was bigger. All I had to do was to move out of the area and just never tell my mother what I was doing and, you know, live with however I lived. And that was about it. But this was different because this, this was different. This was said, I somehow got a glimpse that this right and wrong was larger than maybe even my mother's sense of right and wrong. Like I couldn't have told you why my mother's sense of right and wrong was what it was. Because hers, in hindsight, was somewhat conditional, situational. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She, she had no trouble at all lying if that helped her get what she needed. And mm-hmm. that's maybe wrong, but it's sort of, it makes sense. So this idea of guilt, where it's like, you can't live with this anymore. I'll give you an example. So I come to Jesus, finally, and I'm, I'm starting to walk with him, fall of 1996 pastor of this church who's been discipling me ever so patiently hands me a Bible. It was the good news translation of the Bible. I don't know if that's a good one or a bad one. It was like some, it it was good. I read it every day. And I started reading in the Proverbs. And as I'm reading in the Proverbs, this is my first time looking into the Proverbs. And I'm at home alone. And I'm reading the Proverbs. And I can't read many of them because my face is getting hot with embarrassment, hot, mm-hmm. like hot, stupid. I don't know if you get what I mean, but it's like when you yeah. get stupid, it's like, it's like, I don't know how to explain this, but this was a totally different experience for me, totally different mm-hmm. experience. And I experienced this from the inside, not from the outside. There was nobody else in the room with me. Nobody was telling me I was stupid, but I was reading the word, and the word was not telling me I was stupid, but it was saying instead Think of this as a mirror. Look at yourself in light of what you should look like. And I just felt in an entirely different way. It was very difficult to feel. Mm. I'm guessing that was from God. Well, doesn't 2 Corinthians 5.17 say that we are transferred from glory to glory as we behold his face, the word? I'm paraphrasing there. But but in practice, and it, so in theory, as I read those words, glory to glory, it just it doesn't it, it doesn't say, well, from this point of glory, you're now going to descend into, you know, the valley of the shadow of death for a long time while you're purified, and then you're going to reascend another mountain called glory. It, it just says glory to glory, and and my experience with guilt has been learning what it actually does what it is Hmm. I'm probably not doing terribly well with this but the outward rules of what the church told me to do and not do I I couldn't have kept them if I wanted to I just made sure I didn't do any of that stuff around them (laughs) yeah you know what I mean it's um, to the degree that I could And, and the other stuff though I couldn't hide from at all 
and and that was sort of the difference. I, but it was a totally new and totally alien experience for me that somehow I had an input into my living that had never been there before. I don't know if that was anybody else's experience or not, but. Well, isn't that the thing when we begin to to interact with the Word of God, it begins to tell us, I'm thinking of the end of Judges, the book of Judges, it says that at that time every man did what was right in his own eyes. And as we begin to mature as Christians, we begin to want to do what is right in God's eyes. And that's a growth trajectory. Uh, You know, when we're a new Christian, God doesn't dump the whole dump truck on us, but he does begin to steer us. Uh, you know, I think it's like dealing with a three-year-old. You know, the first thing you do, you you want to make sure as they start running that they don't run into the street. So there's certain things that may appear to be harsh, but they're really life-giving in the long run. And then as they grow a little bit older, you know, we, we teach them how to ride a bike, and now they know not to go in the street. And I think I think our Christian life over time, um, we our our conscience should begin to be conformed to a greater and greater extent to know what we can and cannot do, and and one size does not always fit all. If if you live in a jungle and somebody shows up at church in a loincloth, that's okay. Uh, probably in Massachusetts, that probably wouldn't be acceptable. Uh, that's not really a conscience thing. It's just a, a local appropriate. But there are other things that a growing Christian begins to change their behavior maybe toward their spouse or the way they deal with their kids or the way they deal in business and honesty and making change and finance, that kind of stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm at a dead end at that here. Because conscience and guilt is not just how we feel about it, but are we conforming to God's overall plan? And are we allowing that plan to impact our personal choices and paths? Could I I say something right here? Oh, absolutely. You know, we're born in sin and shaping with iniquity. Man in the garden fell, and everything that was produced after that by Adam and Eve were children of, of the devil. Mm. And so flesh cannot please God. Neither can we please God by trying to observe the law. The law was not given My Bible tells me that the law was given as a schoolmaster to bring us to grace, Christ. Mm -hmm. And when we start trying to earn salvation by our deeds, uh, you know, there's a principle in the Bible that 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 could could never happen because if, if I'm not mistaken, those 613 mosaic laws that was given, and and then. And then the other side, he narrowed it down to 10, and we couldn't keep the 10. 
But there's also a provision in that thing. When you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. So I, I think there is an attempt. I see this in, in, in the folk at the church all the time. I see an attempt to try to earn salvation, to try to earn it. You remember Peter came to to Jesus. He was talking to Jesus. He, how many times shall I forgive my brother a day? Mm. He, said, he said, well, seven times. I think Peter said seven times because in his mind that was rational, that was doable for him. But the Lord said, no, seven times 70. In other words, you forgive your brother as many times as necessary. I guess, I, I, I guess sometimes I just think, I just think we attempt to please God in the wrong state. Um, Hmm. I don't know whether I don't I don't know whether that's 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 making any sense or not. It, it it makes a lot of sense. So so if I'm hearing what you're saying, we did come into the world with a conscience. It was just a conscience that was that was wired to Satan, to the fall to the fallen kingdom, to the fallen flesh, to the corrupted flesh. So that that would make perfect sense. Then if I told you that my whole moral code was situational and conditional on my personal pleasure and needs. That would make perfect sense. That would square theologically, I think, with everything you just said. Is that a mistake? No? No, because who had a more perfect conscience than Adam and Eve, the first two? But their conscience, their, their, you know, they were created in the image of God, but yet their conscience, or, or maybe, they didn't, maybe they didn't know how to use their conscience. Because Satan came to them with something that was obvious. Of every tree that's in the midst of the garden, you know, you can eat all of them, but the one that's in the midst, don't touch that one. God was specific. He was very clear. But yet, with, with, with these new created beings who had the prototype that they had the conscience, the first, they couldn't discern. Or either they chose to follow their own desire. So they had a capacity, but not necessarily a willingness. By the time um, I'm born, I, I just I'm sorry? Think there was, I just think that, I just think that they, how could, how could South Carolina can't give me a speeding ticket if there's no speeding signs posted? I have to know what the law is to be able to obey it. I have to have the ability to be able to, to obey it. You know, that's an interesting point, and I'll – can I share something about that? That's really yeah. interesting. In, in New England, and I don't know if they did this in South Carolina, they will publish – certain towns here will publish a uh, speed limit at the town line, and yeah. then not another one. There won't be another speed – there will not be another sign. Mm. So if, if you happen to miss it crossing the town and, – and what the sign will say is uh, – Town speed limits are 30 unless otherwise posted. Yeah, we have that in our subdivision. Yeah. You do? Okay. So so you cross the town line. If you miss that sign, you're not going to have any idea what the speed limit is. None. <laughs> Sounds like they're trying to meet a quota. But you yeah. were told what, the, what it was. So, so if you ever go to court with that, it, it, the bar, the standard you'll be held to is, well, you were a licensed operator of a motor vehicle in the state of 
Massachusetts, then you knew or you should have known when you crossed that town line what that sign actually said. And, and, did, you, and, and did not God know that Satan was going to be in the garden? Didn't God know that he was going to tempt Adam and Eve? He knew that at creation. So if he knew that, would he not, could he be a loving God and not put in them the ability to resist it? I think well, the ability to resist them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 this is definitely a rabbit. This is like a rabbit alert. I don't know what a rabbit says. And we're getting, okay. we're getting the areas that theologians haven't answered that. If God knew, why okay. did he prevent? Yeah. Okay. But I'm comfortable with anything we say here as long as we leave it with this. They had the ability, they had the capacity to carry out what the law was, right? Because it was the same law that caused Cain and Abel to offer sacrifices where none is recorded. And one was clearly deficient, one was clearly good to go. So somebody knew something. But they, Adam had the capacity, and at the very least we could say he lacked the willingness. Because of his act, them together, him alone, I'm born unable to have a godly conscience, no matter how hard I try to work on the outside. To kind of loop this back to where we were, now I show up fretting because I have no godly conscience. I would have described it as no conscience at all, but in this conversation I'm starting to think that I had a conscience, but it was it was a satanic conscience, you know, like everybody would be naturally well, born. It was a corrupted conscience. Because, Fair. Okay. You know, the whole, yeah. I could I could achieve something that AA would call cash register honesty. That's what I could achieve, hmm. an outward appearance of morality, right? So if you mm-hmm. if you loan me 20 bucks, I'd pay you 20 bucks back, right? Cash register honesty. But, but if you ask me why I was handing that money back, I wouldn't have a really good answer. In fact, I wouldn't have an answer at all. So I come to mm-hmm. Jesus, and what I'm coming with is this corrupted conscience that really exists only – to flag me for danger of being restricted by the law or something else, right? It, mm-hmm. it didn't really have a function. I had to learn how to do things God's way. So I'm sitting there in my little apartment reading Proverbs, and my face is hot with embarrassment at what a fool I have lived like. And I'm 30, 31 years old at this point. And I guess, Bob, that's the process you're calling learning a conscience, learning how to do it God's way. Right. And, you know, and what I'm also thinking about is uh, the second half of Romans 1 is, you know, there's three steps downward to greater and greater darkness of conscience. And when we become a, a Christian, God begins to pull us out of those blind spots of no conscience and bringing us into awareness of what how he wants us to live. And not just us generically, but us personally. Because he's training our conscience. I was thinking of this in, in uh, you know, a child growing up uh, on a, a ranch or a farm or something. As a five-year-old, he's told to go weed the garden. And as he grows, he learns more about the agronomy and, and what's in the soil. And he learns more about the sheep and the ducks and the goats and and eventually that child grows up to where he takes over the farm. And as Christians, we start out as infants in conscience. 
And as we interact with the Word, as we interact with teachers of the Word, as we interact with with people at the coffee shop, you know, that kind of thing, our consciences are gradually transformed. So, yeah, we have a conscience, but it's it's pretty corrupted and twisted. But as we grow, we begin to sort those out. So the way that AA does this is the fourth step in AA is we did a, well, the third step is to turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understand it. And that whole program, incidentally, is a veiled Christian text on how to live. It's it's really uh-huh. incredible. But the fourth step, after you've done that, says we made a, a, a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. And then from there, it's we sit down and we talk with a mentor, a confessor, if you will, pastor, somebody. And then after that, we go and make all those wrong things right. You know, if we stole money, let's go pay it back. Let's go tell people what we did. And if and if we were, you know, mean to somebody, let's go say sorry for that and make that right if we can. And it's not weeping and, you know, you know, prostrating ourselves on the ground, but it's going and settling accounts, right? And in business, we would do that. Okay. And then from there, a clarity begins to emerge. As I understand first, you know, how bad I really was, really and truly how hopelessly bad I really was. But more than that, there's a freedom that says, okay, I've said sorry to everybody on earth that I need to. I've made all the restitution and amends that I can. And that brings me some peace. But it brings me back to the peace that Pastor Aiken started this conversation with, which was not all guilt that shows up is from God. Mm -hmm. Because there will still be guilt that shows up. Even after that thorough moral inventory, that process of saying sorry, restitution, all of that. There'll still be stuff that comes that that tells me you're guilty. You did this wrong thing. And it will not be from God. What is that? That's where, you know, I, I think Satan tries to, to kill us with a, you know, death by a thousand cuts, little guilty prods. And, and to me, that's the point where we turn to God and we begin to say, Lord, uh whatever part of that is truly mine, I confess it and move on. That we don't carry these guilt loads as Christians, or we shouldn't. That there comes a point of, of saying, uh, you know, first John one nine, you know, I confess the sins that I know, and he takes care of all the sins from that point. You know, as as a child we don't uh, you know, if we're, if we're seven, we look forward to the day we get our driver's license, but we don't, or we shouldn't obsess over it. You know, and, uh, you know, there's churches that do nothing but pile on guilt at every sermon. And, and that's not godly. Oh yeah, we, we need to confess what we're aware of. You know, I don't know whether I'm chasing the wrong rabbit here or not, but, but, you no, know, it's, this, it's, it's, it's it's not a rabbit. It's it. So, Pastor, can you still there? Because you've been quiet. I'm here. I'm listening, man. It's it's just it's just good. So it's good. So the first thing you said when we started was not all guilt comes from God, and there is a place in my life I can just tell you because I've been through the moral inventory I talked about from AA, and it took years. You know, it was not a thing done overnight. It took probably 10 years for that process to be complete. You know, all the all the uh, uh, amends, restitution, you know, all of it. 
And even at that, you think, okay, so there's nobody on earth who needs to hear that you love them. There's nobody on earth who needs to hear that, that you're sorry. There's nobody on earth who needs to hear I forgive you because it cuts both ways. You know, you still got to forgive people. So you think that even at the end of that process, that would be the end of all guilt. And even at that, there's still stuff that shows up that on its face, I, I say, no, I, I know that's not from God. Other stuff shows up and it's like, huh. Maybe maybe that is from God. Maybe I need to look at that again. Is is that what you were talking about at the beginning? Um, I personally believe that man with that fallen conscience believes he deserves to be punished. Huh. I personally believe that. I believe we have to be delivered from that um and but you're talking about it in two different ways right huh you're talking about that in two different ways right it it's i really did do something and i ought to be punished and that's fair and that's that's first john 1 9 and that's grace but then there's another part that says no wait a minute i didn't do anything wrong and this is more accurately described as a satanic attack even though I should be punished for the way I feel, right? If, if, if what I'm being accused of that matches this feeling, I should be punished. But, but really where I wanted to get to was there's some of the stuff that I experienced that I didn't do anything wrong, but I nevertheless feel that same feeling. I know that, I know that Satan was able to, uh, make me feel guilty when I was innocent, but the result was the reason why he was successful was that with that is was it was because I didn't accept God's forgiveness for me. I could forgive others, but I had a problem forgiving myself. But you're not you're not saying that as a blanket statement, like in all cases, because I, I can remember one conversation you and I had distinctly. This was like 2010. And I was driving somewhere, we were talking on the phone, and I was fasting a lot then, so it might have been a little earlier, like 08. And I told you we had just finished a fast. And, you know, yeah, one of my pastor friends is going to do a fast, and he's doing a fast. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Pastor Aiken, now's the time. You tell me you're doing a fast, right? So I say to you, so what are you going to do? And you said, I don't know if you remember this, you said, I'm going to watch the Knicks. <laughs> And it took me a long time to understand what you said, and your answer was grace, and mine was law. I didn't know it in that conversation, but I wanted you to do what I was doing so that it would affirm what I was doing. In other words, I wasn't confident enough in what I was doing to just do it on my own, whether anyone cared or not. I'm still hearing, I'm still hearing a conflict between grace and law presently. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hearing it in, the, in this conversation, and, I'm, I'm, you know, the scripture up in Romans says, there is now no, no. condemnation. Yeah. Wait a minute. Right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. As soon as I ask for forgiveness, there is now no condemnation. And so if I'm feeling condemned after I've repented, and uh, my sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus, 
And that's no longer God. That ain't God. That's either ignorance on my part as it relates to the word, what the word says. Okay. Or, or, or am I back to feeling I deserve this? Well, and we want because, to deserve it. Yeah, sometimes we want to pay the price because that makes us feel good and it's not about our relationship with God. At that point, you know, I want to self-flagellate myself. Yeah, the writer of the uh, Thompson Chain Bible had a problem with that passage. I think they they put a word, they definitely deviated from the original text. Uh, the word that, it, it has aged me right now, the word that they used sort of softened the text. It was almost like Frank James Thompson had a problem with God saying, I know you're guilty here, but you've asked forgiveness, and it's done. I've cast it into the feast of forgetfulness. I, I, I wish I could remember the word that they used in that passage. That's not of the original text. And it just really mm. softens the passage. It makes it more human. We're almost out of time. i got to get back to work. Could we pick this conversation up again? Because there's clearly more in there. That whole intersection of grace and law, there is a scandal at the bottom of grace that, yeah, you're right. And, Bob, what you were saying about people need to self-flagellate to feel like they're forgiven. Mm -hmm. There's something in that. And then if I stole money, you know, does repentance look like me going and paying the money back or offering to pay it? Because I've had debts forgiven, you know, and stuff like that where, you know, I borrowed money and wasn't able to pay it back. And somebody said, ah, forget it. Don't worry about it. Or, you know what I mean? So could we could we do this? Could we cut off here and then pick this guilt conversation back up? Because it's not done, is it? Am I Am I wrong? Nah, Frank, uh, and and the Lord used you to introduce this topic. So it no, needs no, to he be... didn't. No, that was no, that's Bob. Bob oh, that picked was all Bob. these topics. Yes, well, Bob picked all these topics. Well then, well then, the Lord is using Bob to bless both all everybody in the. <laughs> He's just using Bob, and I'm I'm just I'm just thankful because. If, if y'all hear me silent, you say, "Well, Pastor Aiken, are you still there?" It's because I'm being blessed by the things that are coming out that's coming out of your mouth. It's blessing me so much, both of you. So, all right, I wasn't taking notes, but if I was taking notes, I'd have pages of notes right now. I I, I couldn't keep up. You, you, you and Bob each said something I had to write down because it was good. I'm going to steal it. Can I read my little outro and then we can talk about the next call? Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay, ready? Here we go. It seems hard to believe, but we've come to the end of our time with each other for today. And we do know that there's much more that we could discuss about any topic. So today's talk was more like an introduction than a really exhaustive survey. If you liked what we did, and we really hope you do, we would ask you to subscribe or even to like the podcast. It would also really help us to help you if you leave some comments about how we could improve. Comments about the topics we discussed, how we analyze those topics, how we talk about them, even how we talk to each other over the quality of our sound. Every little bit helps us to make content that's more of a blessing to you. Again, thank you for listening with us today, and may the Lord richly bless you in all that you do.